Good evening. The mayor rings the bell on Wall Street as stocks gyrate to the tune of attacks in Ukraine. Ambassadors argue who's the Nazi at the United Nations General Assembly. We speak with a reporter in Kiev, the capital of Ukraine, and which way the left as the war grinds on. With these and other stories, I'm Paul DiRienzo with the WBAI News for Monday, February 28th, 2022. The mayor of New York, Eric Adams, rang the bell today at the New York Stock Exchange. And the mayor called himself a compassionate capitalist, even as the Dow Jones average dropped again on the disconcerting news from Eastern Europe. The mayor said he can only hope. (laughs) <laughs> we just hope so I hope it's going to do well. Uh, there's a lot that's going on inside, uh, you know, the on the globe. I mean, you know, we know the war is going to, you know, sort of make people a little uh, sort of scary right now. But we're resilient and we're going to be fine and we're going to continue to grow our economy. Meanwhile, outside the United Nations, where the General Assembly was debating the conflict between Russia and Ukraine, pro-Ukrainian post, uh, protesters gathered. I have been born in Ukraine, yes, I was born in Ukraine, um, in Kiev, in the capital. That's where my family is right now, hiding underground in the bunkers. My family right now is trying to hide from the bombshells that are hitting their houses. Specifically, buildings are being hit by missiles. The message today is for United Nations to immediately kick Russia out. Uh, Russia has no place in the Organization for Peace. United Nations must immediately expel Russia, take that flag down, because Russia right now has started a bloody war in my country, where, as a result of which civilian people are dying. As the Russian ambassador explained how the Jewish president of Ukraine, former comedian Volodymyr Zelensky, could be a Nazi. Today, President Putin spoke to President Macron, and he uh, he listed those conditions that uh, we we demand from Ukrainians, uh, and they are well known. As I said, demilitarization and uh, denazification of Ukraine, uh, commitment uh, uh, to its neutral status, not to join NATO, and not to move the weapons to our borders. On the fact that uh, Zelensky uh, has uh, Jewish heritage, uh, it, it doesn't matter because because real power in Ukraine. Real political weight belongs uh, to to the radicals and neo-Nazis uh, uh, who uh, who defy the president, who has their have their own agenda, who who rule the who rule the ball in Ukraine. In fact, and President Zelensky, who came uh, with a landslide victory of 74 percent of the population, uh, promising to end the war. Uh, first thing uh, on the list of his priorities. But then he was slowly backing off this uh, and he finished practically playing into the hands of, the, into the hands of those uh, radical and neo-Nazi organizations uh, which claim that they represent the patriotic, patriotic uh, uh, part of the Ukrainian society. Uh, he demonstrated that he's weak, that he has no political will and power in in the circumstances he found himself in uh, to resist uh, to resist those radicals who who are the main uh, the main political uh, driving force in, in in current in the today's Euro- Ukraine. And that is the Russian ambassador. Meanwhile, the uh, Ukrainian ambassador compared President Putin of Russia 
to a guy in Berlin. If he wants to kill himself, he doesn't need to use nuclear arsenal. He has to do what the, same, what, what the guy in, in Berlin did in a bunker in May 1945. Or even higher, following Putin's order to put an alert Russian nuclear forces. What a, what a madness. And that is the Ukrainian uh, ambassador who was speaking earlier today. He was referring to Nazi dictator Adolf Hitler, who killed himself in a bunker in the last days of World War II. The, the, um, and uh, back in, the, uh, in Washington, the um, – well, here we go. The first talks aimed at stopping the fighting between Ukraine and Russia ended today with no agreement except to keep talking while an increasingly isolated Moscow ran into unexpectedly fierce resistance on the ground and economic havoc at home. Five days into Russia's invasion, the Kremlin again raised the specter of nuclear war while an embattled Ukraine moved to solidify its ties to the West by applying to join the European Union, a largely symbolic move unlikely to sit well with Russian President Putin, who has long accused the United States are trying to pull Ukraine out of Moscow's orbit. A top Putin aide and head of the Russian delegation, Vladimir Medinsky, said the talks lasted nearly five hours and that the envoys found certain points on which common positions could be foreseen. He said they agreed to continue the discussion in the coming days. The Department of State spokesperson, Ned Price, briefed reporters on the talks. We are ready and willing, just as our Ukrainian partners are, just as our European allies are to engage in real, in substantive, in genuine diplomacy in order to see if we can find a way out of what is a needless, brutal conflict. But that diplomacy is highly unlikely to bear fruit, to prove effective in the midst of not only um, uh, confrontation, but escalation. Uh, well before the invasion started, we made the point that we were all for diplomacy, uh, but in order for it to bear fruit, it needed to take place in the context of de-escalation. That is in some ways even more true now. Um, we are supportive of the Ukrainians uh, engaging uh, with Russian counterparts. We are offering, um, as you know, Foreign Minister Kuleba had an opportunity yesterday to uh, convene with uh, the G7 ministers. President Biden has had an opportunity in recent days to speak to uh, excuse me, President Zelensky has an opportunity in recent days to speak to President Biden. And that's Ned Price. Uh, WBAI has been in contact with freelance reporter Maria Pisarenko, who says after a weekend curfew, she finally emerged in Kiev to find a city eerily quiet with distant explosions. She says Ukrainian people are armed, organized and prepared to fight. All of them are patrolling the city. They are all over. There are some, in some places, there are uh, like block posts and barricades made out of tires. Overall, the situation today in Kiev, in city center, was pretty calm because we expected heavy airstrikes this night, but they didn't happen. Maybe because they were waiting for the negotiations. So just the moment the negotiations were announced, there were strikes from the Belarusian territory. But later, the night was pretty calm. So we didn't hear any strikes and explosions. 
today, the day was pretty, you know, relaxing. Uh, people were going out and about to buy the groceries, to buy their medicine, because the curfew is over, the three-day curfew, and they had to, you know, refill their supplies of food and medicine. Uh, agents, people dressed up right. in Ukrainian military uniforms. Right. Ha- has there been that kind of activity? The curfew said that uh, if you are seen in the streets during Sunday, the whole day of Sunday, you will be uh, supposed or identified as a member of sabotage groups or Russian you know, spy. There is risk you can be destroyed. So people, normal people, were sitting at home and that is why the militia and Ukrainian military managed to clear the city off of these sabotage groups and the reports of uh, Ministry of Interior Defense and of Interior Affairs and of Defense Ministry says that more than 60 sabotagers were neutralized in Kyiv during the curfew, so during Saturday and Sunday. How about civilian casualties? Are these rockets or bombs? Do they fall in the city occasionally? Civilian casualties are reaching some number yet to be confirmed exact number, but we already know that there are more than 100 people killed in all of this situation, more than 2,000 injured. We know also about 16 children who died because of this attack, so among those civilian casualties are also children. And for example, the latest news, breaking news, uh, are that there are strikes near Brovary region. It's like a smaller town outside of Kyiv during one strike. There are already at least six uh, people injured. So you see the situation is kind of very worrying, very terrible. But I need to, you know, clarify you how this looks. When you are in the city, you understand that something is off, something strange. The streets are empty. There are a lot of military uh, everywhere. Despite all the, you know, Russian propaganda, all the scary information coming that there are so many Russians, no one in Ukraine is scared of that. Ukraine, Ukrainian armed forces are proving the opposite. They are showing that we are stronger, that we are more capable of fighting back and giving severe response, very professional response, destroying all this military. Because Ukrainian army is defending the people. And here in Ukraine, Russian military are fighting for one person, which is a dictator, which is Putin. So people are very, you know, trustworthy in the armed, uh, armed forces. We can see a lot of initiative for raising money, raising equipment, raising medicine. People are very willing to help. They understand that their security now in the hands of Ukrainian military, of people who are on the ground, who are in every city, in every street, both members of armed forces and these volunteer fighters, which have received weapons from the state. And this belief is very strong. On social media, you can see a lot of jokes even about this war of Russians, a lot of reports, posts, and information from people which show the confidence in Ukrainian armed forces. So to say, a slogan of this war, which uh, sounds in Russian or like in Ukrainian, quoting Russian, uh, it translates as Russian ship, uh, go fuck yourself. I mean, that's what right for, course, what. Russia accuses Ukraine of being a Nazi state, being Ukrainian yeah. president, being a Nazi now. But the story is that Ukrainian president doesn't have anything in common with Nazi. He is a comedian who was elected in 2019. 
he gets from the face, you know, like a comedian having his late night show, kind of late night show. He jumped right into the presidential office. He's not a new Nazi. He's not a nationalist, even close. He was even accused of being Russian spy, of being too pro-Russian. And now, out of nowhere, Russia accuses him of being neo-Nazi and saying that this government should be replaced. This understanding of Russian argument gives the understanding how senseless this war is. They just try to cover their attacks by even more stupid reasons. So no Nazis in Ukraine, no Nazis. And Nazis are, have done what Russia is doing now to Ukraine. So that's the irony of fate, so to say. Here in Ukraine, we also have a lot of, uh, so to say, anger that uh, Russian opinion leaders, Russian show business people, Russian actors, and all that people who are supposed to be the top part of the society, haven't been saying anything about Russian war. They have, are talking about this now because they are banned from SWIFT, banned from air travel to Europe, and so on and so forth. So the war itself doesn't bother them. They're bothered by economic things. And this is why Ukrainians really criticize them and even have anger towards them. And these protests, yes, they look like, oh, oh, finally, somebody is beginning to wake up, beginning to understand that something in, is wrong in their country. But yes, Ukrainians see it as a good sign, but nobody, you know, has these feelings towards these people that, oh, thank you, you're so kind. No, you led it to the point when your country attacked us, have already killed more than 200 people and injured more than 2,000 people. So you are wrong in every, every possible given moment. And this protest won't, you know, clear your, your reputation and your image for us. So that's kind of uh, as we see it now. And that's Maria Pisarenko, and she joined us from Kiev. In that last clip, she was talking about her response and the response, she says, of most Ukrainians who protest in Russia. She says, where are the movie stars? Where are the actors? Where are the uh, folks who uh, inform the public as to uh, uh, what positions to take on political issues of the day? They only showed up when the swift banking uh, uh, sanctions were imposed which then hurt them as citizens as well. She says, it's a little too little. It's too little, too late. And here in America from Washington, D.C., the uh, uh, director of the New International Project of the Institute for Policy Studies focusing on Middle East, U.S. wars and U.N. issues is Phyllis Bennis. Bennis says it's a very dangerous time in Ukraine and that both sides should talk about withdrawing their military uh, forces as soon as possible before something really bad happens. I think this is a very dangerous moment. The rise of militarism in response to this war is dangerous. But at the moment, the war itself is what is primary. This was an illegal action. Biden was right when he said it was unjustified. He was wrong when he said it was unprovoked. There clearly have been provocations that go back years and even decades, uh, but none of it justifies uh, this Russian invasion. So I think what's urgently needed is real diplomacy. The notion that once the fighting starts, diplomacy is no more 
is really backwards. When the fighting starts, you need diplomacy more urgently than ever to stop it because too many people are at risk. Too many people are being killed. Too many people are being injured. Uh, it's, it's a disastrous situation. So the diplomacy that's going forward, as weak as it is in some ways, the diplomacy that's going on publicly on the border with uh, between Ukraine and Belarus and whatever diplomacy may be going on privately that we don't know about, all of that needs to continue. Uh, there needs to be an immediate ceasefire. There needs to be uh, a Russian pullout. There needs to be an acknowledgement in public what U.S. and other NATO leaders have said for years, which is that Ukraine will not be coming into NATO anytime in the foreseeable future. Uh, there need to be new negotiations across Europe on issues of disarmament, on issues of nuclear weapons. The, the, the Russian uh, threat around nuclear weapons is a devastating escalation in the rhetoric, and it makes everything, it makes the stakes for everything much higher. Uh, because even though it's a very unlikely possibility that this could lead to uh, a nuclear exchange between the world's two largest nuclear weapon states, it's not impossible. Mm -hmm. And that means that it's, the fact that it's not impossible means that the stakes are just incredibly high. Empire of lies. That's what Putin says the West is. There's a lot of empire building going on. There has been on the West for a long time. Putin seems to be trying to rebuild the Russian Empire, not the Soviet Union, because his anti-communism is huge. But the notion that, that the Russian state somehow has the right to either claim or reclaim by force countries and regions that once were tied to Russia is not helping either. That doesn't help solve the problem of the U.S. and NATO drive for empire. We're stuck in a situation right here where there are huge issues on both sides of histories of imperial actions, some of which are more recent than others. And history is always determined by when you start the clock. If we start the clock in 1991, when the Soviet Union collapsed, we'd say one thing. If we start, start the clock in 2008, when NATO announced that it would welcome Ukraine and Georgia as members, we'd say something else. If we start the clock in February of 2022, we start the clock with the Russian invasion. That doesn't dispute all that went before, but it does set a new moment of what's the most urgent factor that has to be dealt with. I don't know how serious this is, but hundreds of trucks converging on Washington, D.C. in time for uh, tomorrow night's State of the Union rally. What's going on that Mr. Putin is getting so much support from the hard right of American society? I don't think the truck convoy assuming it even makes it here in time and i don't think it's likely to get too close to even washington dc let alone to the capital uh, i don't think that has anything to do with what's going on in ukraine it started before the invasion um, people say lots of things to get press they say lots of things to be posturing there's no question that there is a right-wing embrace of putin which makes sense in a certain way putin is an authoritarian dictator and the right loves authoritarian dictators they also love authoritarian wannabe dictators like Donald Trump. So I think that, you know, this is not something that should be so surprising. I think we need to look seriously, not base our analysis on how to respond to what various right-wing forces are telling the press, but look at what we think is going on on the ground. 
Uh, what, what do we think is necessary to get diplomacy moving forward? Uh, saying we need diplomacy and not war is a starting point, but it's not enough. We need to be able to say, what does the diplomacy actually look like? It looks like starting with a, with a ceasefire. It looks like starting by bringing the OSCE, the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe, which involves all the European countries, including Ukraine, including Russia, including the United States, as the dominant negotiating force, along with the United Nations. NATO should not be in charge of negotiations. So I think those are the considerations that we need to be looking at. Phyllis Bennis directs the New Internationalism Project at the Institute for Policy Studies. And in more news, the Biden administration today hosted an event at the White House on the final day of Black History Month, where President uh, Joe Biden expressed his optimism over growing racial equity in the United States, while also admitting much work remains to be done in the fight for racial justice. In attendance at today's event were a number of Biden administration officials, including Vice President Kamala Harris, the country's first woman of color to hold the nation's second highest office. Also present were a number of leaders in the ongoing fight for racial justice. Members of the Divine Nine, a council of historically black fraternities and sororities, also joined the White House event. The president began his speech by recapping his administration's efforts to combat systematic racism and inequality, pointing in part to his nomination of Judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson to the Supreme Court. Should she be confirmed by the Senate, Brown-Jackson would be the first black woman to serve on the nation's highest court. Biden went on to say, black history is American history. Oh, I'm going to be delivering the State of the Union address. And today, I simply want to thank you for all you've done, for me, for all of the country, so much has been accomplished in the people in this room. Black History Month is more than a celebration. It's a powerful, powerful reminder that black history is American history. Black culture is American culture. Black stories are essentially an ongoing story of America. I see it every day with the vice president and the incredible job she's doing. We see it in the black members of the cab, my cabinet and the White House staff and who are here today who serve to defend the nation, protect the planet, build the economy, deliver housing, jobs and justice. And we see it in the tireless heroic efforts of the Congressional Black Caucus. And I want to uh, I'm going to embarrass him now. I want a former chairman of the Black Caucus has come over to help me run things. Cedric, stand up. Let everybody see you. And that was President Biden. And as Black History Month comes to an end, Women's History Month begins tomorrow, March 1st. March 8th is International Women's Day, which is widely, widely uh, respected and followed and celebrated all over the world. But in New York, it wasn't celebrated so much as confronted as WBAI's own Sansara Taylor, who is the host of uh, – we Only Want the World, hell, uh, heard Tuesdays from 7 to 8 p.m. Well, Cesara was arrested. She's protesting the laws that are uh, being passed in places like Texas that are criminalizing abortion. She had this to say as the police led her away.
And that was Sara Taylor, who was being arrested. And that was what she had to say as she was being taken away. Her program, We Only Aunt the World, is held heard Tuesdays at 7 p.m. And I'd like to apologize for the quality of some of the sound tonight. We were speaking with folks who were hiding out in the basement of their homes during a war in Kiev. And it's amazing that we were able to talk to them at all. Thank you so much for putting up with that. And we are going to continue those reports and uh, hopefully uh, we'll be able to uh, put up with those technical difficulties as we go along. Thank you very much for listening. And that's some of the news for Monday, February 28th, 2022. The news is produced with Linda Perry, our engineers, Reggie Johnson from New York City. I'm Paul DiRienzo. Thanks for listening. <laughs>